Let's pray together. Mighty God, as we open your word together today, we again ask that you would speak to us. Lord, we are your children and we long to learn from you. So guide our thoughts, guide our hearts, our minds. And Lord, help us to be attentive to your spirit as you speak to each one of us in the name of Christ. Amen. It's been quite a week, hasn't it? Anybody stay up right throughout the night? No, I, uh, I kind of lasted to about half one and then realized what was going on. And that is since the vote on Thursday and the result on Friday, it's thrown this country into somewhat of a turmoil. First saw it on the, uh, on the night where the pound was one minute it was up and the next minute it was down and it was like doing the okey-cokey all night long when one side thought they were going to win and then the other, a bit like Mr. Farage who said one minute he's losing and the next minute he's winning and then he's losing again and then he's winning and so on. I don't know if you read, but the uh, archbishops of Canterbury and York made a statement. I'm going to read it to you. On the Friday, they said this. They said, on Thursday, millions of people from across the United Kingdom voted in the referendum and the majority expressed a desire that Britain's future is to be outside the European Union. The outcome of this referendum has been determined by the people of this country. It is now the responsibility of the government with the support of Parliament to take full account of the outcome of the referendum and in light of this, decide upon the next steps. This morning, the Prime Minister, David Cameron, has offered a framework for when this process might formally begin. The vote to withdraw from the European Union means that we must now all reimagine both what it means to be the United Kingdom in an interdependent world and what values and virtues should shape and guide our relationship with others. As citizens of the United Kingdom, whatever our views during the referendum campaign, we must now unite in a common task to build a generous and forward-looking country, contributing to, the, to a human flourishing around the world. We must remain hospitable and compassionate, builders of bridges and not barriers. Many of those living among us and alongside us as neighbors, friends, and work colleagues come from overseas, and some will feel a deep sense of insecurity. We must respond by offering reassurance, by cherishing our wonderfully diverse society, and by affirming the unique contribution of each and every one. The referendum campaign has been vigorous and at times has caused hurt to those on one side or the other. We must therefore act with humility and courage, being true to the principles that make the very best of our nation. Unity, hope and generosity will enable us to overcome the period of transition that will now happen and to emerge confident and successful. The opportunities and challenges that face us as a nation and as global citizens are too significant for us to settle for less. As those who hope and trust in the living God, let us pray for all our leaders, especially for Prime Minister David Cameron in his remaining months in office. We also pray for the leaders across Europe and around the world as they face this dramatic change. Let us pray especially that we may go forward to build a good United Kingdom, that though relating to the rest of Europe in a new way will play its part among the nations 
in the pursuit of the common good throughout the world. A profound statement that was made in the hours after the result was known. And really, I think what's happened since then and what will continue to happen is that as a nation, we will begin to define again who we really are. What does it mean to be part of the United Kingdom today in light of the result of the referendum? What does it mean to, for us living in this country as we relate to the rest of Europe and the rest of the world? And whether we agree or disagree with the result, we have been given an opportunity to redefine who we are as a nation. But that starts with who we are as individuals. And that's a constant question that we have to ask ourselves. When you're born, when you're a baby, when you're a toddler, your character is developing and and parents and others can see and begin to see the characteristics within you. So many of them are like, oh, that's like your mother, or that's like your father, or that's like so-and-so. And and as you grow, people start seeing those characteristics, not just physically, but in your character. If you have a stubborn streak, it's generally like, you know, some part of your family and so on and so on. And then that changes again, doesn't it, when we get into our school years. When you think back to the years that you were in school, were they happy years or were they sad years? Were you one of the in crowd or were you one of the outsiders? Were you the one that was bullying others or lording it over others? Or were you the ones that were being bullied? That affects what we think about ourselves and how we define who we are. Then most prominently, you see that in the teenage years. You look at the teenagers walking around the streets today. They're there trying to define who they are. And they come out with outrageous dress senses and everything else as part of that exploration about identity. Some take gap years to go and find themselves, as we say today, to discover really what's important to them and and who they are on the inside as that identity starts to emerge and the values that they want to hold on to. And then after the teen, or as we go through those teenage years, we redefine who we are again. What am I going to do with my life? You have those options that you have to make in school, decide which course courses you're going to take because that will narrow the field down of possibility later on. Am I going to go to university or get an apprenticeship or just go get a job somewhere? What what am I going to do with my life? How am I going to invest my time? Am I going to stay am I going to stay single or am I going to get married? And if you get married or stay single then your roles start to change and Family roles, if family comes along, you start to change again. You become a parent and a spouse and, a, and, a, and there's so many other roles that we start to play. And so we constantly ask ourselves, don't we? Well, who am I? Where do I really fit in? And then you have your midlife crisis where you go out and buy an expensive car or whatever else it might be because that's what you do when you have your midlife crisis. Part again of saying, well, actually, life is moving on now. And I'm in the center of life and I'm looking back and I'm looking forward and really, who am I? And then again, it all changes, doesn't it, when, when we hit retirement. And for some, perhaps that's an easier transition than for others. 
whose, whose work life has defined who they've been up to that point, and they find it really difficult. And then when health issues maybe come our way, and that kind of, we can't do all the things that we used to do. And so we keep asking ourselves throughout our lives, who are we? And it's one of those constant processes. If you look at the psychology of human development, they would tell you that every 10 years you need to reevaluate before you move on successfully for the next stage of your journey. And they have various theories, and you can learn all about it, where people have analyzed the different steps that we take as we analyze who we are. The Bible tells us, of course, who we are as well. And over the next uh, number of weeks, we're going to look through the book of Ephesians together. Because that gives us an insight into truly who we are in Christ. But before we do that, today I want us to look right back at the very beginning. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 1. Because there it all begins with God telling us right at the outset, this is who I say that you are. At the very core, at the very kind of base level of us, this is what God says about us. And we need to get that into our hearts and into our lives so that everything else, that's the foundation on which everything else is built. Genesis 1 verse 26, God has created in the story of Genesis the earth and the sky and the sea and everything else. And then we come to day six. He said, then God said, verse 26, let us make man in our image in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful in increasing number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that all he had made and it was very good. There was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Firstly, God says that we are made in his image. Everyone is made in the image of God. He repeats it a number of times, made man in our image, in our likeness. And he says, again, you're made in my image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. In other words, that it doesn't depend that we are made in God's image doesn't depend on any externals. We so often judge, don't we, on money, on success, on beauty, on age, on ethnicity, on so many external things. What we see, what we experience around us. But God says, you are made in my image, in my likeness. He uses those two words, image and likeness. 
Now, when you make something in the image of something else, if you make something in the likeness of something else, what are you doing? Well, you're, you're kind of mirroring what you've made. If you get a picture and you paint another one that's similar, you'd say this is an image, this is a likeness of the original. When you go into the Tate Gallery and you particularly like a picture, what do you do? You go into the store and the shop and you go and buy a copy. You can't just take the original down and say, I really fancy this one, I'm going to take it home, thanks very much. They say, no, 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 you can't touch that. But what you can do is buy a likeness, an image, so that when you get home, it's, it's not as good as the original, but it's, it's a good representation and you can put it up on the wall and it reminds you of the beauty of the picture that you saw hanging there. And in the same way, we are to be mirrors of God. He said, I'm going to make you as a mirror of God. I'm making you in my image. When people see you, they should see God. Jesus said that, didn't he? John 14, 9. Just the Father. If you see me, you've seen the Father. Why? Because Jesus said, I'm the image. I'm created in the image of God. I am the image. I mirror the Father to you. So if I was to come round to your house and say, oh, show me that picture that you went to see, you wouldn't take me off to the Tate and show it. You'd say, come here, I got a copy. You've seen that? You've seen the original. It's the image of it. And God has created us like that. Our identity has been received by God from God to us. It's not achieved by us. But so often we look at the achievements, not what we have received. Remember this year when uh, the first night of the winter night shelter was on, I thought I'll go down to Weldon and I'll make sure everything's okay. If there's any problems, I can go sort them out. So I trundled in there, I had a key to the door, so I walked in, I let myself in, all the other guys were there and everybody else. And then this lovely lady from another church came over to me and she said, hello, how are you? And I said, I'm fine, thank you very much, how are you? She said, I'm good. So, uh, and, and then she started to talk to me and it, it was pretty clear to me, she obviously, I looked like I'd just come off the streets. It was a Monday, I hadn't shaved, and you know, so, so she, oh, and, and how are you doing today? And we've got a nice meal, and I thought, that's great, because I can eat here, and then go home and eat again, that's fine by me. And she started talking, I don't know why we do that, we assume that everybody else doesn't understand English quite as well as we do, so we have to shout at them and talk really slowly and clearly. And so she started, and, and the, the vicar of the church, who I know really well, because he's on the board of Firm Foundation just as I am, he was standing there, like quite bemused, I think, looking on. And then I thought, I'll just keep this going as long as possible. <laughs> so I did, you know. And I was wondering quite what was going to happen. But that's what we're like. I walked in here one day a few years ago on a Saturday afternoon. I'd been out in the garden, and there was a let in here. And this very well-dressed uh, person came out and stared me up and down like this, quite obviously, and said, excuse me, who do you think you are? And I said, I'm the minister of this church, uh, exactly who are you? And they oh, I'm terribly sorry. 
I said, I should think so. I've just come to get my things and I'll be off. But we judge, don't we, by externals. We judge by what we see on the outside. And that affects us because what we think of ourselves so often comes from that external judgment. You know in your life, I know in mine, when people have criticized you, when people have have put you in a box somewhere, that those thoughts, as much as you don't want them to, they go inside of you. And eventually, if it's done to you enough, you start believing those thoughts from other people. You start believing the box that you create. And you say, well, this is me and this is who I am. What can I do? But right at the outset, God says, you know what? There is no box. Because I am giving each of you your identity. And your identity is given by God himself. It is planted within each one of us. You are made in the image of God. If you live on the streets, you're made in the image of God. If you live in a palace, you're made in the image of God. If you have a hundred million pounds in your bank account, or you owe a hundred million pounds, you're still made in the image of God. If you're suffering with sickness, you're made in the image of God. If you're healthy like Alan and about to run 10K, you're made in the image of God. If you've got no hair on the top of your head, you're made in the image of God. If you can have an afro and stick it up 10 miles high, you're made in the image of God. Do you know what I'm saying? We need to get that inside of who we are. And stop listening to the voice of those outside. And our nation needs to do the same thing. Stop listening to the voices of those that we raise up on a pedestal because we think they have achieved. And instead, as a nation, we need to get back to listening and recognizing that each one in this country is made in the image of God. And therefore, they are due the respect that God gives them. They have that image within them. Regardless of faith, regardless of religion, regardless of wealth, regardless of sex, regardless of of who they are, they're made in the image of God. And when we get that, it transforms who we are. Because then we have tools with which we can deal with the externals when they come in. Yes, people will try and put you in boxes. But you can say, you know what? Who I am is not about those externals. It's not about what I achieve or fail to achieve. Who I am is about what I have received from God. I am made in His image and so is everybody else. And we have an opportunity as we move forward, as this nation redefines itself, to build it, recognizing that everyone has value, everyone has worth, because it's been given by God to all. There's an advert, isn't there, by L'Oreal. What do they say? Because you're worth it.
Well, God said it a lot longer before that. He says it here in Genesis chapter 1. You're worth it because you are a mirror. The second thing he says here is that we have been given a role to play. He said, I'm going to make you in my image, but I'm going to give you something to do. You need to rule over the fish, over the land. You need to rule over creation. There's a distinct order, you see. There's God, there's humanity, and there's creation. And God could have said, I'm going to just rule over everything, but he didn't. He said, I'm going to subcontract the ruling of the creation out to those that I've made in my own image. As they mirror him, so they can then carry out that responsibility. The problem for us is that word rule, isn't it? Because we have twisted that word rule from the the scriptural definition into something ourselves. We look at rulership so often as exploitation, as ruthlessness and, and a lack of compassion. Ignoring the needs of others. It's ours so we can do it. It's an ownership thing. If I rule over something, it's, it's been given to me, it's mine by right, and therefore I can do with it what I want. But the Bible says that's not what he's talking about. If that were true, then God could do with us whatever he wants to do with us. If that were true, then he could treat us in the most horrific kind of ways. Because he owns us. He made us. We're his. He's the ruler. He has the power. But you see, Jesus came to show us what it really means, didn't he? He says, when you have been given that authority, what do you do with it? Well, God says, what I do with it is I love and I encourage and I help and I nurture, and I want to bring the fullness out of those things that I've been asked to rule over. God wants you and me to flourish, to be the best. That's what he shows in Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do? He said, I've not come to be served, but to serve, Matthew twenty twenty eight. And how did he do that? Well, on the night that he was going to go and be handed over, he took off his robe and he got on his knees and he washed their feet. He said, this is what it means to rule. This is what it means to have that authority. It means to use the power that you have to serve others. You see, it's not about ownership and rights, but about gift and responsibility. It's like that worst moment in life when a friend or a neighbor gives you a pet to look after when they want to go away on some fancy holiday. It's frightening, isn't it? If, if, if we actually had any degree of sense in our bodies, we would just say, no, thank you very much. Go pay for it to go into somewhere special. Because you're there panicking the whole time that they're away that this thing's going to die, basically, aren't you? Oh, please look after my favorite, you know, Tabitha the cat, she's beautiful. She has a habit of running away, but don't worry. And you're like, your heart is just... So every five minutes, you're checking on Tabitha. Is she all right? Is she still breathing? You go down the pet store and you make sure if there's another one that looks enough similar, just in case. You know? And, you, and you're, you're just like... And the biggest relief 
is when they come back and you can just go, thank you, here you go. And they buy you a stick of rock from wherever or whatever to thank you. And you go, you don't know the stress that I've been through the last two weeks you've been away. You know, but that's what ownership is. It's about that responsibility. You don't get Tabitha the cat and go, hey, it's mine now. I can do what I like with this cat. Start swinging it around by the tail. And, you know, you don't do that. You take that responsibility seriously. And in the same way, God says, you know what? I have given you the world. It is your responsibility to nurture it. It is your responsibility to care for it. It is your responsibility to, to, to bring the best out of everything around you, out of one another and out of creation. And I guess as the United Kingdom starts to redesign itself, we have an opportunity again to be at the forefront of what it means to rule, to rule with a servant heart, to say, you know what? Let's not abuse what God has given to us. Let's not just take it for our own ends, but let's nurture it and work with creation and do things right. Why don't we go to the forefront in our world of what it means to be responsible and caring towards our creation? And thirdly, God says, I'm going to bless them. Verse 28. He said, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful in increasing number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature. God blesses us. He blesses us so that we might be a blessing to those around us. In other words, he blesses us, which means he equips us He's given us every tool that we need to carry out the role that he's asked us to do. I often dislike doing jobs around the house. You know why? Because sooner or later it involves a trip to the hardware store. I don't know why it is, but every job you seem to do around the house, you don't have the necessary tool that you need or you can't find it. The screws are too long or they're too short, so you have to go down and buy the right screw. You can't remember where you left the right size screwdriver, so you're trying to jam a larger one into a little hole and that doesn't work, or a tiny one that's too small to turn and it just doesn't work. Sooner or later, you, you have to go and get the right tool for the right job. But God said right at the outset, he said, I'm going to bless them with all the tools they're ever going to need. I'm going to give them every tool that they need to mirror who God is. That's the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, so on. I'm going to give them every tool that they need to be those rulers with those servant hearts. That's the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to give you everything you need. So really, we have no excuses. When we stand before God, we can't say, well, I'm sorry, I, I did the best with what I, what I thought I had. And he said, but I, I had all this, I'm going to give you. 
You had everything you needed to be successful in God's eyes. To do the job that he's asked you to do. Ron Seal says, it does what it says. Isn't it frightening, the power of advertising? (laughs) It does what it says on the tin. And Genesis chapter 1 says the same thing. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you all the tools. I'm going to give you all the resources you need so that you can go and be fruitful. Look after the world that I've entrusted into your care. That you can go and treat one another as made in my image. That you can work together. I'm going to give you everything that you ever need. So that we stand there and we should be able to say, you know what? It does what it says on the tin. But the difficulty is in Genesis chapter 3 that there's someone that's trying to stop us too. If you look through the fall of man and and how evil comes around and evil works at it, you know what it does? It tries to reverse everything in Genesis chapter 1. The enemy questions our identity. God said, you're made in my image. I'm giving you the identity that you need. The serpent said, no, 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 no. You need to eat this apple to really know what God is like. To be able to really mirror God, you need to do this. You need to achieve it. You need to do it yourself. Just take the apple. Just just do it yourself. Then you will really know. God said, look after the world. The enemy said, no, 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 no. You need to rule over the world with power and authority. You take control. You do it. You make it bend to your will rather than serve it. God says, I'm going to give you every tool that you need. And the enemy says, who are you to think that you can accomplish anything? It's not even possible. It's not realistic. Forget about this faith business because that's just ridiculous. Go with the facts. Go with what you know. Do it in your own strength. You see, God says that identity is received, not achieved. And the enemy keeps saying to you and me, "Uh uh-uh, identity is achieved. It's not received. And the question comes, who are we going to believe in? Our nation is grappling with that same issue. How are we going to build this nation? The new relationships and the new opportunities this has given to us. Are we going to build it as it perhaps it used to be more? Based on the identity that comes from on high? Or are we going to build it based on our own feelings of success and power and authority? But that is a question we need to ask ourselves as well. Because our nation is really made up of you and me, isn't it? You know, most of my time where I spend talking to people in the vestry who come in with different problems, it comes because of this issue. When you boil it right down, It's who am I? 
I've been abused. That's, that's, that's the kind of thing. That's, that's who I am. That defines me. But before any of that, you're created in the image of God and that still stands. Which are you going to believe in? Which are you going to respond to? How are you going to act? Each of us needs to continually ask that question. And through Jesus Christ, we have the answer. We need to allow these truths to mold us. Mold his church here at Trinity. Mold our neighborhood. And mold this country. Because if one thing has happened out of this referendum and the result, it's given this country an opportunity to rethink these questions. I pray, and I would encourage you to pray, that this country would not squander that opportunity, but that it would use it to really analyze who we are. Who do we want to be? What are we going to build together? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray for this, your country here. But right now we pray for ourselves too. Lord, it starts with me. Who am I? Do I truly believe that I'm created in your image, that I'm beautiful, that I've been set apart by you? That I'm worthy because of you? Or do I look at the exterior? Do I look at successes and failures and the external things of life and judge myself accordingly? Lord, you have said to each and every person in this whole world that they are special because they are made in your image. And that needs to be the starting point of everything. Of our faith, our belief, our understanding of who we are, our confidence, our self. May we be found in you. That you look at each one of us today. And you love us. You pour out your spirit upon us and say, I'm going to give you everything that you need. Everything to mirror God and to do what he asks you to do. And I'm going to pour out my spirit upon you in fruit and in gifts to grow you and mold you and make you more like him. Lord, teach us what that truly means to each of us today. For I ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.